Let's pray. Lord, uh, it, it, it seems even hard to ask for humility because even in asking for humility feels like the question itself is filled with my own arrogance. But by your spirit and by Christ in me, you can ask through me. So, humility is required because your word is so important and we dare not approach it with knowledge of our own, but we ask only that your spirit would reveal to us the truth of your word and as you do, we would submit to it, believe it, and enjoy it thoroughly as you transform us and grow us into Christ-likeness. We pray that you would do that work by the power of your spirit for the sake of your glory and through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> so last week we discovered what is, the, what is true godliness in a woman. And again, that wasn't exhaustive. There's a lot you could say about specifically women or truths about women that are also true about men. And uh, so we could, have, you know, we could go on and on and on about um, kind of the, the beauty, the godly beauty of a woman. And we discuss, discovered some of that last week. But now what we'll see is Paul explained to us not only, the, not only the reason he makes those claims that he made last week, but also the way in which women can actually fulfill their roles in godliness. And then he tells us why. Why it's important and, and why the, this, this kind of role distinction exists and where it comes from. We get to see that unfold throughout the text. And within the practicality of women filling their God-given roles, we also see, and this is really important, as women ful- fulfill their God-given roles, what we see is the majesty of the gospel displayed through a woman. And that's... You know, that's true of men as well. Men filling their roles displays the same thing. The, the majesty of the gospel through men filling their roles. Not only are we commanded and given roles, so, so roles are explained to us and then we're commanded to live within those roles and fulfill those roles. And, and when we're commanded in the Bible to do something, um, there is this immediate instinct that I would say comes from our sinful flesh where we are, can be, not always obviously, but can be immediately resistant to a particular command. And it's, I don't think, I'm not speaking of this command in particular, but just commands in general, right? Like we're told we have to do something and we immediately feel restriction, Right? You have to do this, or you cannot do that. And once you are um, like bound into a particular action that you have to do or cannot do, you feel the restriction of that binding. And the only reason that we kind of push against that command is, is pride. Right? It's pride in our heart that says, whoa, don't restrict me. I'm free. That's really the heartbeat or the, 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 the root of the problem when we're given commands and we want to push back against the command because it feels restrictive. And that restrictive feeling, we don't know, why, why don't I like somebody telling me what to do? And it's pride because the pride is saying you're binding me and you're enclosing me and kind of capturing me and putting me in a cage and saying I can't do this or I, can't do, or I have to do that. And what we'll discover today is when we are commanded, whatever the command is, in Scripture by God, that is not restriction. That is freedom. There is nobody who has ever lived on this earth who has ever been more free than Jesus. And yet, he lived the most restricted life of anyone. Jesus chose to use his freedom to restrict himself to the will of his father. 
And Paul tells us to do the same thing with our Christian freedoms in 1 Corinthians 8, 9, and 10, as he explains, like, use your freedom to give up your freedom. And so it, it all just kind of captures this idea that that feeling you ever get, and even whether you recognize it or not, or you recognize it, you hate it, or you recognize it and you embrace it, is this, there's this, when someone commands me, I feel like I don't like this restriction you're giving me. And what we discover in the Bible is that that restriction is actually your freedom that you have in Christ. Roles in the church, and not just in the church, but in the family and in the world, roles for men and women, and I guess you could say children as well, um, roles are not restrictions. Roles are freedom. And roles are not only freedom. The way in which they're freedom is their freedom because roles are an expression of the gospel, which is our freedom. And with that mentality, men and women filling their God-given roles will become their joy rather than pain. It will become freedom rather than restriction. And that's important. Because if we aren't fulfilling our roles, then nothing will be in order. Like, I make sure that my kids know their roles in our home. Dante, what's your role in our home? Submit. Submit. <laughs> He's like, uh, better not get this wrong. Okay, I ask him that all the time just so that this moment would be successful. So <laughs> um, like, it's important to me as a husband and father that everyone in, their, in my family knows their roles. And can you imagine if my wife was like, I'm going to lead the family. And I was like, no, I should. And that creates a tension, right? And you all understand that. And we've seen, we see that play out in the world and it can become very difficult to manage. Um, but there's a reason for these roles. And it's, it's, it, there's, so, there's so much to explain about the glory of the, this, this womanhood. The glory of God in Christ through the gospel to women. And women get this amazing, men get a little bit of it too because men are commanded to submit just as much to Christ as women are to Christ. And so men and women get to express this, but women even more so because of their physical and literal placement in life and the practicality of their role, they get to reveal Jesus in such a profoundly unique and glorious way. And if they embrace, if women embrace this, it is beautiful. And for the woman, it is pure joy as she experiences the gospel in her role. So we get to verse 11, 1 Timothy 2, 11, And Paul says, let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. Now, this kind of text from our modern day, like our modern day cultural perspective seems just on the surface to be putting women down, right? Like it's suppressing women. And if we leave this text by itself without context, it would actually be kind of hard to argue otherwise, right? But we're given context to help us understand it. So we'll put it in context. But first, we need to examine the meaning of this verse by itself. So... For Paul to say, let a woman, kind of sounds or seems like he's suggesting that women can choose to learn quietly with all submissiveness, but they don't have to. And what I'm telling you is if they want to, let them. So at the surface, it can kind of seem like that's what Paul's saying, but that's not at all what he's saying. First of all, the Greek sentence here in verse 11 does not have the word let a. It just starts with woman. So let A is a transcription from the original text that uh, translators have put in to help us understand it in English, to put it in a readable manner. Um, but the original Greek just says, woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. So let a uh, is, or that word let is not in the Greek. And grammatically, because if it just says, let a woman, if they want to, and if they, you know, if they want to, don't stop them, then there's no command there. It's just kind of a free-for-all. Like, you know, if they want to, they can. If they don't want to, they don't have to. But it, it alleviates the, the pressure of a command. However, grammatically, the word learn 
is in the imperative mood in its Greek structure, meaning it's a command. It's an imperative. So this word learn is the command. Women learn quietly with all submissiveness. So the stance is a command for women to do the very thing that we talked about last week in verses 9 through 10. That godliness in a woman is expressed not in how she physically presents herself, but in her good works. And the good works that Paul has in mind is her submissiveness and her quietness. Or another way of saying it is, it is good for a woman to play her God-given role. That honors God, that glorifies God. It satisfies the needs of the church. It satisfies the needs of the family. And it satisfies the needs of the culture. The fact that Paul uses the word learn in this text reveals God's intention for women in the gatherings. This is important, a little caveat. In the gathering of the congregation for worship. So within that context, women are to learn. And women are learners when we gather for corporate worship, meaning they are not teachers. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 14, 34-35, Paul commands women not to speak in church. And if they have questions, they are to ask their husbands at home, so to secure their obedience to God and order within the congregational worship. And Paul goes as far to say that this is not just true in the new covenant in Christ. He says this is also true in the law. So sometimes things in the law are fulfilled by Christ and no longer commanded of the church. And there are some things that are in the law that are fulfilled in Christ and reiterated as commands for the church. And one of those commands for the church is the role of women that, is, that comes from the law. And then Paul goes as far as to say that it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. But women can teach. They can teach other women and children as well. And specifically, when we talk about women teaching other women, Paul talks about women, older women teaching younger women, according to Titus 2.4, which says, and this is a great little text. I say little, but it's a massive text, really. And there's so much here. And it's a beautiful text about like what should a woman be. Now, he uses the word older women here. But realize that when he says older women, he's referring to the, their maturity. He is speaking of older in age, but his assumption is by the age of being older, women have matured to a certain place, and therefore they're in a position to do these things and be like this. So this should be what every woman aspires to be. He says older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers. Or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good. Notice he says they are to teach what is good. So who are they teaching? We see it in the rest of the sentence. And so train the young women. So that's who they're teaching. Train the young women to love their husbands and children. To be self-controlled. Pure. Working at home kind and submissive to their own husbands that the word of God may not be reviled. So if you think about what that means, that, this, that, all, all, of that, that in, all that that encompasses for a woman to do, what's at stake in her being this kind of woman is the clarity and exaltation of Jesus Christ in the word of God. What Paul means is the gospel's at stake in women filling this particular aspect of their role. Because if women don't, then what the word of God says about women isn't reflected in the women who are supposed to reflect the word of God. And so the world doesn't get a good picture of the gospel or of God himself or of the truth of God's word when they don't live within these particular forms of godliness. And this is why Paul says, do this so that the word of God isn't reviled, so that nobody can look at the word of God and say, you guys teach this, but I see your women doing this. So it's a matter of integrity. Now, that idea of integrity... Some, but the word says this and people doing this, you can apply it. That's not just women. That's everybody. Every Christian with every command lives in that tension. 
Okay, but specifically in reference to women, now you have in Titus 2, 4 through 5, this packed in little text that gives you guidance as women on what, is, what do I aspire to be like as a godly woman? And we see it here. So there's much there, and I'm not going to unpack Titus 2, 4, and 5. But I do just want you to see that women are not restricted to not teaching, but that their teaching is directed at other women and children. So to promote and secure male leadership in teaching in the whole congregation, women have to fill a different type of teaching role, and they're not allowed to fill a teaching role for the entirety of the congregation because men are in the congregation, and that would be out of God's or intended order for the church. So in the context of the church, in any teaching situation that includes men or families, women are to be learners and not teachers. Obviously, not all the men are teaching, so men are also playing a role of learners when they're not teaching. Okay, so it's not insane to consider that women would sit and learn alongside their husband, who's a man, and also sitting and learning. Okay, but Paul is creating the distinction that the teaching aspect for the congregational worship is meant for the men, and we'll see why. Paul does clarify that specifically in verse 12. And he says in verse 12, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. So again, well, three times now, if we count 1 Corinthians 14 and uh, the text from last week, 1 Timothy 2, 9 and 10, this is the third time we see women being told to remain quiet. And again, I'll say, as I said last week, that does not mean women should be pushed to the corner and that women should be uh, ignored and have no opportunities and not have a voice or an opinion or even, um, you know, that doesn't mean like when you walk in the doors on Sunday morning, zip it. Don't talk to anybody. That's not what that means. Paul's putting this in the context of the exaltation of God through his, the teaching of his word that is expressed in the prayer and the music and the teaching to the entire body. And in those contexts, he's saying women are to remain quiet. So as the body sings and the body teaches and the body prays, it's the men who are leading and the women's quietness in, those set, in that setting, in this setting right now, prevents women from becoming a distraction from the authority that God has placed on the men or the man that God has put in the church to lead it by teaching in all aspects of congregational worship. Now, I won't say much else about women being quiet because we kind of already addressed it last week, but I will say this. Quietness is important because though, again, that sounds suppress- suppressive, right? Because when you think of quiet, if, if you're talking and someone goes, quiet, it's like, oh, that was abrasive. Like, it's almost like when you're told to be quiet, you're being reprimanded, right? That's kind of how we perceive quietness because everybody grows up as a child. And what our child, what's wrapped up in the heart of a child? Foolishness. Right? According to Proverbs, folly is bound up in the heart of a child. So as children, what do we do? We walk around and go, la, 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 la. We say all kinds of things. We're loud and we shout and we speak out of turn and we interrupt and we're chaotic. And our parents go, quiet. Shh. So it feels like you're being told, shut up when you're told to be quiet. But don't think of this as corrective. Think of this as encouraging, instructive. And preparing you for when you're in scenarios where you get to be quiet. And this is important. This quietness is so important because quietness is a woman's way of physically expressing her submission. So if you think you can be submissive and be loud and boisterous and heard, then that reveals a lack of submission somewhere in your relationship, which is a reflection of your lack of submission to God and his word. And so those two things can't exist together in the worship of the church. And if you want to be heard, if you're a woman, you're thinking, well, then how can my opinion be heard? And how can I voice what needs to be said and, and things? There are other places and other contexts where that can happen. And Paul gives direction in 1 Corinthians 14 
on what women can do in that scenario. If they've got a question or have anything to say within the realm of worship of the church or the teaching from the, from the elders, then Paul says they can ask their husbands at home and their husband can be their voice. And you're probably thinking, well, what if I don't have a husband? Or what if my husband's not a believer and that doesn't work for me? Well, you can do the same thing with your elders. So question about the teaching, things you want to say or whatever. You bring your concern, your voice to your husband at home and your husband speaks for you. That's, and Paul puts things in that order so that people are constantly, whether they're in the church service or at home or in between or meeting with the pastor on a Tuesday afternoon, whatever it is. That way, Paul's ensuring that these people are enacting or are acting within their roles at all times. So that when they gather for worship, it's not like, oh, that's right, I'm not in charge today because it's Sunday, and I'm a woman who leads my home, and my husband doesn't, and so, but now that I'm at church, I'm going to try to be submissive during service. And Paul's like, that, that still doesn't work. So he's ensuring that the submissiveness is expressed all throughout the week, throughout every aspect of your life. So leadership is ultimately kind of the issue that is revealed here. So There is this aspect of this text where Paul's talking about like this very moment for us, Sunday mornings, music, prayer, teaching, and the gathering of the church and the exaltation of the word of God, these things specifically apply. But it's not just that. Paul's also speaking to the structure of authority in the church as a whole, which is expressed at all times, no matter what the church is doing. So it's not just specifically the worship itself as the church gathers for corporate worship, but also the way the church is organized and structured as a whole and the authority of who's in charge or who who leads the church. And we know that that's the issue at hand, that this idea of leadership goes beyond just the corporate worship to the fullness of the church because Paul mentions authority in verse 12. That not only includes the leadership of men in teaching, but it also includes the leadership of men in all areas of worship. Like we saw in verse 8, who leads in prayer? Men. Another application of this truth is that men are to lead the people in spiritual songs, hymns, and psalms. And you could easily, I mean, again, we need to understand this is not about talent. This is not about skill. This is not about gifting. This is not about ability. It's about roles. Okay? We'll see in this in chapter 3. We're going to address the qualifications of eldership. And one of the qualifications of eldership is teaching the church. And given that women cannot teach men, that means also that women therefore cannot be elders. Because elders have to teach men. So the idea of authority and leadership isn't just the teaching, but in the overall leading of the church. Now, at this point, I assume and at least hope that you agree with what Paul's teaching. But even if you agree, even if you're like, yeah, yeah, no, I'm on board. I'm I'm with you 100%. Still maybe asking yourself, like, I, I get it. It says that. I believe it. But like, why? I believe what the Bible says. I'm agreeing with the woman's role and the male role in the church and in corporate worship. But like, is there has to be a re- like, what's the reason? Why would God do things that way? Why is, why is this God's order for the church? And, and even asking yourself, could God be doing himself a disservice by preventing wise and knowledgeable women from teaching the church? Can't women know just as much as men? And if they do, or they know more, can't they teach men? Well, they can't teach men, but yes, they can know more than men. They can be wiser than men. Knowledge is not the issue here. Again, many women do know more than men, biblically. But God's reason for why men are to teach and hold a position of authority has nothing to do with ability or age or any other factors. The reason God ordains the order of the church And the order of the world to be male-led is because of creation, which Paul explains in verses 13 through 15. So Paul's going to go all the way back and say, the reason the church is structured this way is because this is God's original intended plan when he created male and females. And he says in verse 13, 
For Adam was formed first, then Eve. Meaning, God's intention at creation, in its perfected state, was that men lead and women follow or submit to their husbands. And in the context of the church, they submit not only to their husbands, but they submit to the authority of the church leadership as everybody does. And then verse 14, Paul goes on with his reasoning and says, And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. (laughs) Paul, (laughs) like, do you know how much guts it takes to say that about women? Like to put the sin of the world on women. That's a gutsy move, and it's true, though, and it's the reasoning, and and we're going to see how that becomes the beauty of the gospel. We'll just see how that unfolds. So not only was male leadership God's intention at creation, but Paul gives us an example, an example of what happens when women take the lead, and when they do take the lead, we see what Eve does when she takes the lead. It creates disorder. The first sin that humans committed was this very sin of not submitting. That was Eve's sin. She left the umbrella of her husband's leadership and made a decision on her own. She did not submit to her husband's lead. She went off on her own. She decided on her own without the input or wisdom of her husband. She made her own decisions without staying within the leadership of her man. And that doesn't mean that husbands are always smarter or wiser. And that doesn't mean that women can't do right things on their own. This isn't saying like women can't function without man. Like that's not at all what Paul's saying. She's talking about the order of the marriage. Paul's point is that men and, when men and women get out of order, the product is immediately sin. And the evidence of that is found most profoundly in Eve's sin when she removes herself from submission to Adam and she ventures out on her own where she was immediately deceived. Meaning, if women lead, they are the first to sin. Which is exactly what Paul means when he says the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. So, there's, there's more here, okay? So just hold on. But now you can kind of understand the reason, right? Like the reason that God ordains male leadership in the church and in the world is creation. God created us For these roles, and since Jesus redeems us from the fall, we are now able to restore the roles back to order in the church. So women get the get get the the glorious reward of expressing the redemption of Christ by fulfilling their role that Eve didn't. And this is, such, this is such an important reason. Because when we think back to Eve being the issue, or creation and order of creation being the issue, it's really important that we, you know, like there are things that we look at in Scripture and we say, well, that's from the law, so should we follow that or not? But when things extend back before the law, you realize that these are truths that were established long before God started making rules for us. Abraham gave a tenth of all that he had to Melchizedek before the law. When the law was instituted, giving changed. But before there was ever a law, God had a standard of giving. And he expressed that, and Abraham expressed that giving. So what you see in Scripture is sometimes there are realities or truths that are established without law. In the law, the people are told to rest on the Sabbath day. That, even without the law, God reveals that in creation when he rested on the seventh day. So there are truths that God establishes long before the law and after the law that hold true forever. And one of those distinctions or one of those important things that he shows us is, are these roles that all the way back to creation as the footing for this command for the church, this is God's intention for his people. That's how he intended creation and its perfected state. And now the church gets to express that perfection through Christ and start fulfilling roles. And this is such an important reason that we go back to creation because... 
the most common argument today for female leadership, either in the home, but particularly in the church, the most common argument for female leadership in the church is this, that first century, in the first century, it was a society that was male-dominated. Men dominated the society, and women were second-class citizens. That's true in the first century. Women were second-class citizens. They were not allowed to vote. They didn't have a voice. They couldn't do anything. And sinfully, sinfully, they were suppressed. Okay? So the argument is that since we no longer live within that kind of culture, and today women are free to vote, to be single. They don't need a man. They can live on their own. In fact, those freedoms, quote-unquote freedoms, are extending beyond just womanhood now to where you can choose who you are completely. You can change anything about your identity if you please, and that's becoming acceptable. Just as much as in the churches in America are accepting women leading churches with this argument that women are now free they're not restricted culturally, so they, you know, they can vote and speak up and they can lead. So then what Paul says here about women not teaching men and not having authority over men no longer applies because that's not our culture anymore. Well, there are several problems with this perspective. One, Paul just clarified that the reason for this order in the church goes back to creation, Right? Meaning culture has nothing to do with the command for women to submit, learn quietly, and have no authority over men. If Paul was depending on society's standards for women, then he could still have written the same thing he wrote here. That women cannot teach men, they must submit, and they cannot exercise authority over men. That would have suited that culture just fine. But he would have had to given us a different reason. His reason would have been the culture, but instead, he says his reason is to go back to the very first humans that were created, meaning Adam and Eve's roles with each other, when created in perfection, are the standard for male and female roles in the church. And since they are the first created people, there is no standard that goes back before them. Meaning this command for women to submit to God, to submit to their husbands, to submit to their church leaders, and for women to learn quietly, and for women to not exercise authority over men, has nothing to do with culture or society, but finds its foundation in God's created order. Which, though it was created in perfection, because you could say, well, well, that was a creation in perfection, and we aren't perfect, so we don't have to follow that anymore. That's not true. It still applies to the church today because the church is supposed to strive for what? 1 Peter 1.15. Perfection. Jesus tells us, be perfect. Now, you could say, yeah, but we're clearly not. Of course we're not. His point is, that is what you are capable of, perfection. Because Christ is in you, perfection is a reality now for us. We, we're not, we, not going to experience Total perfection in this flesh, on this earth. But that is where we're going. And so we strive for perfection in everything. In everything. And so one of the ways we get to express the perfection of God in the church is by essentially revealing God's perfected Standard when he created the world, which were appropriate male and female roles. And now, because we're in Christ, and now we are perfected in Christ, we can reveal that perfection by fulfilling those roles and restoring what God had originally intended. So, male leadership and teaching and authority in the church and female submission and quietness, that is a timeless truth that applies to all ages and all circumstances and all aspects of life in the church forever. Now, the second reason why this is, this is not a matter of culture is this. If culture determines the meaning of the text, then the meaning changes throughout history as culture changes, right? But the meaning cannot change because a text can never mean what it never meant before to its original readers or its original author. So a text can only mean what it meant when it was written, and that's it. 
So if I write you a handwritten letter and I hand it to you today, you can't read it in 10 years ago. Oh, he meant something completely different because now our culture is different. So it doesn't mean the same thing anymore. It meant what I meant when I wrote it. And that's all that it meant. And to read in more into it is inappropriate, not only in biblical interpretation, but interpreting any ancient text or any text at all. You could read a book that someone wrote five years ago and say, well, our culture has changed, so I'm going to change the meaning of what the author meant. And the author would say, how dare you change the meaning of what I meant when I wrote my book? So how dare we change the meaning of what God wrote when he wrote his book? So that's a, that's a, that's a given standard in biblical interpretation is that we understand texts within their context and in understanding them within their context, we try to glean the meaning of a text from what the author meant and what the original readers would have understood. So for, for the meaning of this text to change throughout history would require at least two things. One, we would have to not take scripture literally because a lot of this text is pretty plain. And two, we would have to not consider context when interpreting the Bible. And if, if that's allowed for us to ignore context, then you can make any text you read mean whatever you want because interpretive standards would be out the window. They'd be irrelevant and the truth would be relative only to the reader who's reading it at that time, meaning truth itself would have no standard. And God is true, so God would then no, have no standard for even his own existence, which means God wouldn't exist, which means, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15... We of all people should be pitied because our faith is in vain. So because creation is the standard for roles and because biblical interpretation requires understanding a text in its original context, women must fulfill their submissive and quiet roles. And men must fill their leading roles and their prayerful roles and their teaching roles. All of us have a different role to, to fill. Now, these are, these are general terms. Male roles and female roles. That's just two categories. And all men fall on the male side and all women fall on the female side. Okay, but even then within those roles, there are several other categories. Not all men teach. Some men teach. Not all women teach other women, but some do. And then you've got all these other ways in which each men and women can fulfill their different roles. And some of those Practices intersect with each other, that men and women can do the same thing in many ways. So you've got to understand we're speaking very generally here. So the question then is, what is a woman to do? Like, what does this look like? How, I mean, Paul has put on women a pretty heavy weight. He has basically blamed the woman for sin. So we get to verse 15, Paul tells us, yet... She will be saved through childbearing if they continue in the faith and love and holiness with self-control. Okay, let me just be clear what this does not mean. This does not mean shut up and have babies, okay? Like, that, that's, not, that's not what he's talking about. Not at all. This is, this is, that's far too crude of a meaning for this text because this text doesn't suppress women. What this text does is the exact opposite. It exalts the glory of womanhood. This is a beautiful reality. And more importantly, it exalts the glory of Jesus in womanhood. And we'll see that in a second. And, and what we see here is Paul's transitioning. He's talked about Eve. He's actually blamed Eve for the problem that exists. And, but now he transitions. And now he's referring to godly women in general. Okay, and we see that because in verse 15, he uses this plural pronoun, they. So he's talking about all women, not just all women, but all godly women. We'll see why he means godly women. So you got to understand, we're talking about women giving birth, women having babies, women bearing children. Paul is speaking about women in general. This is not a command. He is not saying all women must have children or they can't be saved. Okay, that would, obviously not the meaning of this text. And we know that not all women will be married and therefore not all women will have babies. And not all married women have babies, right? So this isn't saying every woman has to have a baby. Not at all. He's talking about godly women in general 
are going to express something unique that only women can express, and it's revealed through being childbearers, and we'll see what that is. So I'm going to explain that. I'm going to explain what Paul's meaning in this text is, and I want you to listen, okay? I really want you to listen because this is the gospel. This is how Paul shows the gospel through womanhood, and it's beautiful. Eve's sin lays upon all women the stigma as the first sinner. Or Eve's sin lays on all women, on womanhood. Eve's sin lays on womanhood this idea that it's a woman's fault that we're all sinners, which is rather accusative. And we know that stigma exists because Paul just brought it to the surface in verse 14 and named it. So instead of the reputation of womanhood being warped and ruined by Eve's sin, believing women get to redeem womanhood through childbearing. So they are not redeeming themselves in a salvific way. They are redeeming their role. That's what he's talking about. Women aren't redeeming themselves. They're redeeming womanhood. They're redeeming the role of woman in womanhood, which Eve messed up by not submitting. And that is the meaning of the word saved in this text. It doesn't refer to justification. That would obviously oppose all New Testament teaching on what justification and spiritual salvation is, that it is by grace and through faith alone that we are saved. So saved here doesn't mean justified. It means to rescue or to heal, to deliver. The Greek word for saved here is used several times in the New Testament without ever having any inference or connection to anything spirit, uh, anything having to do with spiritual salvation or, or justification in Christ. So godly women redeem or heal or rescue or save the reputation of womanhood by bearing children. What Eve did was not submit. So she sinned. She didn't submit to God, and she didn't submit to her husband. God said, don't eat it, and she's like, I will. She didn't submit to God. So sin entered the world. And keep in mind, if we were talking about men right now, we'd be going into this whole thing about how God actually blames Adam for Eve's sin and how Adam didn't fulfill his role either. So this is not just on the woman. If we're thinking about this, just the, the fullness of what Scripture teaches, Adam takes responsibility for this, okay? But Paul is bringing out the reality that what Eve has done as, as twisted or perverted the womanhood for the rest of all generations. And what Eve did was not submit, and so she sinned. But listen, Jesus redeems us from sin, right? So Eve creates the problem, Jesus fixes the problem, and believing women in general get to express redemption in Jesus by redeeming the role of womanhood through childbearing that was ruined by Eve's lack of submission. So Eve sinned by not submitting, thus ruining womanhood. Jesus redeems womanhood. And women get to express the redemption of womanhood in Jesus by doing what Eve did not, submitting. And women show their godly role in womanhood of submission by, by fulfilling what only a woman can do, bearing children. So, again, that does not, he's not saying, hey, all the women should be having kids. And I would tell you, personally, my understanding of Scripture, I would say all women are not commanded to have kids. But I think all, all godly women should have kids, if you can. In fact, have as many as you can. Because if you're a godly woman, you're going to raise your kids in godliness. And I like that. And I think you do too. And that just means more souls in heaven to worship Jesus. That's an awesome thing. But this is not a command. You're not being told you have to have kids. It's not specific. He's speaking in general. He's not just saying, hey, ladies, have babies so that you can redeem womanhood. And the more women who have more babies does more redemption for womanhood. That's not what he's saying. He's saying Eve ruined womanhood. 
Jesus redeemed womanhood, and now in general, when women bear children, they get the opportunity to express the very thing that Eve ruined, which is submitting to the appropriate authority in their role. And one of the ways in which a woman, a woman does it is doing something only a woman can do, which is having children. So submission is expressed in women fulfilling their, their role that is only for them. And what that does is it, it, it exalts Jesus's conquering of sin. It exalts Jesus redeeming humanity from the curse and the fall. And so it's a beautiful picture of the gospel that women get to as they fulfill their particular and specific role that only they can fill, which is being a mother. They show that the mother of all people failed, but now women who are believers get to show that Jesus did not fail by filling their roles. So why does childbearing save womanhood? Well, not only does childbearing reveal a woman's submissive role, but by bearing children, women get to do something that no one else, that men don't get to do. Women, godly women, bearing children, and this is really where Paul's getting to when he talks about childbearing. Women who have kids, godly women who have kids, get to raise children into godliness. That's where Paul's going with this. Women have a unique relationship with their children. They bear the child, they birth the child, they nurse the child, and they raise the child. Yeah, of course men are involved in the raising too. But if you think about a man's role in the family, what is his priority? To sanctify his wife with the washing of water in the word of God. That's Ephesians chapter 5. That is a man's role to to present his wife, his bride, to God one day as beautiful, without blemish, perfect, and spotless because he has sanctified her with the washing of the word. And what is that godly woman who is led by her husband in such a beautiful way? What is she going to do? She's going to have babies and she's going to wash her children in the word because mothers spend more time with their children than the dads do. That's just a, that's a reality that has never changed throughout history, although it's beginning to change more and more now as men stay at home and women leave the home. But it has always been throughout history that women are spending more time with the children, at least in the rearing the children and raising them in the home. And it's a very, very significant role for women to play in raising children into godliness. I, told, I, was, I was talking to Christian about this last night, and he goes, it's a high calling. And it is, that's exactly what it is. It's a very high calling because next week we're going to talk about eldership, and Paul says, that's a high calling. So what he's showing us side by side at the end of chapter 2 and the beginning of chapter 3 is what is a woman's high calling and what is a man's high calling. For a woman to have a high calling is to raise godly children. Okay, that's the idea of womanhood. And that doesn't mean women who don't raise children or don't have children that they can't achieve the same amount of godliness. That's not Paul's point. That's not what that means. Because on the other hand, with men, men fulfill a high calling by becoming elders. And not every man's going to be an elder. And men who aren't elders can be just as or more godly than men who are elders. That's possible too. So it's not an issue of, of... of godliness or, or position, it's, it's just that, that Paul is getting women to understand that there is beauty in bearing children and that there's a specific reason why the bearing of children reveals the gospel of Jesus' redemption from what Eve had ruined. And then women get to express that by being mothers and raising their children in godliness. And thus they get to carry on the glory of God in the church as they lead children to Christ in the word. And this is why Paul says, if, if, so it's a condition, if they continue in love and, or if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. If they don't continue in the faith, then they won't raise up godly children and thus ruin Jesus' picture of redemption and submissive womanhood by them repeating Eve's sin. So godliness is, as Paul describes here, faith, love, holiness, 
So if they continue in godliness, they will continue to be faithful and they will continue in love and they will continue in holiness and they will pass on those characteristics to their children through their example and through their discipline and through their teaching. And Paul adds at the end here this one characteristic that is one of the nine fruit of the spirit. Notice I said fruit, not fruits. There's one fruit of the spirit. It has nine parts. When you are filled with the Holy Spirit, you reveal the fruit of the Spirit, not a fruit of the Spirit. It's not like, oh, I have self-control today, but no patience. <laughs> like if you're filled with the Spirit, he produces the fruit, which has, it's explained in uh, Galatians 5 by Paul, as these nine things. And one of them is self-control. And this one of self-control is significant to the context because a lack of self-control is what caused Eve to leave her husband's umbrella of leadership and it led to sin. So, so also, like, women express self-control by submitting their control. This is, this is huge. Because, again, we see the gospel. Women express self-control by submitting their control to their God, to their husband, and to their church leaders or their elders. Or anyone who has that particular role of authority in their life. And that is not restriction. That is freedom. Jesus, like I said before, is the most free person who's ever lived. And he said in John 6, 38, I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If there's any, ever been anyone in history who could come to earth and say, this whole earth is mine. I made it, Colossians chapter 1. I made it. I created everything. I own you. I own you all. I can stop Satan in his tracks. I can kill him if I want to. I can raise the dead. I can create life. I can take life. I can do as I please. I'm God. Don't tell me what to do. I tell you what to do. He could come to, 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 to the earth with, with that kind of, well, not attitude, but with that rank and position. Instead, with all the power in not the universe, in reality, with all the authority that exists in all of reality, the fullness of the authority of God rests on Jesus alone. And he says, I'm going to use that authority and that freedom to express something so beautiful for you. I'm going to submit completely. I will not do a single thing in my life that isn't what the Father tells me to do. That's Jesus' attitude, and that's exactly what he did to perfection for 33 years. He didn't eat a sing, take a single bite of bread unless it was the Father's will for him. He didn't take a single sip of anything unless it was the Father's will. He didn't go to any town unless the Father told him to go there, which is why Jesus was so, always so, so, uh, 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 what's the word I'm looking for? So set on always retreating to be alone with the Father so that he could be filled with the Spirit, so that no matter, at all times, in being filled with the Spirit, Jesus could go to any situation and go, the Spirit's just going to tell me what to do. I know the Father's will because uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, only the Spirit of God knows the depths of the mind of God, and so the Spirit of God, who knows the depths of God's mind, is fully operating to perfection in Jesus Christ, and he therefore knows exactly what God the Father wants him to do in every single moment, and you have the exact same opportunity and freedom. So to submit for Jesus to have all that power and all that authority and all that freedom, and he says, I'm just going to do what the Father tells me to do. Would anybody in here say, how restrictive of Jesus? That's not fair to him. No one's going to say that. We would all be like, that, that is so humble and glorious and beautiful. What a loving, gracious, merciful Savior and God that we have that he would bring himself so low and submit everything in his life to the will of the Father for us to redeem humanity, to redeem his people. And so now women get to do the exact same thing and in doing so they get to express the beauty of Jesus' total authority and freedom and, and, and power and glory condensed into this decision to give up all that freedom and submit. Every single Christian who lives has this calling that every decision in your life, 
Every word that comes out of your mouth. Paul says, we will all be judged for every careless word we speak. So does every word matter? Absolutely. Does every decision matter? Yeah. Paul says, take every thought captive to obey Christ. Does every thought matter? Yeah. Does every word matter? Yeah. Does every decision matter? Yes. It all matters. All of it. Everything. Everything you do, man or woman, is to submit to Christ. To submit to the word of God. To, to, to look at what decision am I about to make? Is it okay that I think this way? Is it okay that I talk this way? Is it okay if I do this or do that or, or make this decision or, or, or whatever? Whatever the decision I'm making, it has to be in total and absolute submission to the word of God. Now, I know we don't do that perfectly, but that's what sanctification is. God working out that perfection that we have in Christ until we are glorified. But this is the beauty of womanhood in this text is that Self-control for women is vital because self-control requires the Holy Spirit. And so self-control is a woman fulfilling, allows her to submit and learn quietly. And in doing so, fulfill a, one of the most profound and glorious roles that Jesus ever showed humans. Which is to give up his freedoms and do everything the Father says. And women get to show that in the church. They get to come to church. They get to be part of the church. And they get to submit to male leadership. And they get to submit to the voice of their pastor and elders. And they get to submit to the voice of their husband. And, they, and, and, and if that is restrictive, then you don't understand what Jesus is doing. Because Jesus looks at that and says, this is glorious. And women, you get the awesome responsibility and pleasure of revealing Christ-likeness by giving up your freedom and being, quote-unquote, restricted to submission. And men, we also have to submit to Christ at all times and in all things. So, ultimately, what is the application for women? Well, it should be obvious at this, time, at this point, based on what I just said. I mean, we could just look at women and say, hey, just do this. Just do it. Submit, be quiet, and raise your children. Like, that's just... That's so suppressive. It's a negative connotation. That is not what Paul's saying. Instead, what are women to do? I think it's easy to say that women should submit, learn quietly, and raise their children in the Lord. But it's hard to do given that women and men still dwell in the sinful flesh that rises up and tempts us out of our roles. So what is a woman to do? Well, Paul says have self-control. And self-control, fruit of the Spirit. Meaning, instead of trying to do these commands, women, just be filled with the Spirit. As Paul commands every Christian in Ephesians 5.18, if your focus and intention is to commune with God and to love your Savior and to know God, He will fill you with the Spirit and thus these commands will no longer be something you strive for against your flesh but rather they will be the spiritual byproduct of your pursuit of Christ. And you will no longer begin to feel the tension of trying to live within your role. You will find the, 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 the smooth transition into your role as the Spirit fills you and guides you as you pursue Christ and pursue God and get into the Word and get into prayer and commune with the body and do all the things that Christ did to be filled with the Spirit so that the Spirit himself is the one who's operating the woman and the woman will joyfully fill her role. And in being filled, you will not only be Spirit-led into your God-given role, but you will be doing the very thing that all believers are commanded to do which is to exalt and proclaim the gospel of Christ, which he reveals to the church and to the world through our faithfulness in our given roles, not only in the church, but in the world and in our families. And this, for women, is glorious gospel exaltation. Women, I hope, like, I think... What happens in cultures is because there are men who abuse authority. It creates a sin pattern that starts with man. Male authority is abused. Females then realize, well, I'm not going to take that because that's inappropriate. And they fight back against male authority. And then we have this tension. And so then 
If that tension exists in the culture, if that's the atmosphere of the culture, like a fog that rolls over the hill and into the town and everybody can feel the tension between males and females. Men are trying to dominate and women are fighting back and that tension exists. And then you go to church and you hear the truth of God's word proclaimed. And in the truth of God's word proclaimed, you hear this reality. Women submit and learn quietly and raise your children in godliness. And it's with that fog hanging over the head, the women go, I see that chauvinistic male pushiness again. The reality is, this word of God breaks through that fog like the sun spreading those clouds apart. And it removes the fog of male oppression and male chauvinistic authority that has plagued cultures for thousands of years and instead it places men that that the bright sunshine the bright light and the glory of god and the word of god shines down on the church and he says fog is gone there's no culture that's telling you how to feel the word of god is true men fill your roles women fill your roles And if we can see through the fog and see the glory of God in his word, then we can receive these words and women can start fulfilling their roles even if men don't. Even if men don't. Let's pray. We love you, Lord. Thank you. You're so good to us. And you've shown us, Jesus, you have shown us exactly what it looks like to be a godly woman by your perfect submission that all believers are meant to follow. So we can't do that on our own. We need your spirit to teach us, to fill us, to train us, and to cause us to obey. So we ask that you would powerfully work in the lives of women to cause women to seek out in your word what it means to be a godly woman and to pursue that with all of their heart and all their passion so they would love their husbands and love their elders and love their children and love their friends Lord, this is beautiful to you. This is glorious because it reveals your perfection, the way that you created us. So help us to exalt the redemption that we have in Christ. Help men in this room to help women fulfill their role as well. And embrace all of us with your love that we would be united together as one in Christ. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.